additional coin. You honor me with your presence, Crispy D. Pokemon so tiny hurt so much. Rat Diggler. Usually stronger than the average, and has a friendly attitude. Is. Uh, throwback. We will not back down. Good morning and welcome to another edition of The Throwback, the post-draft edition. Happy Monday. Hopefully everybody's doing all right. Chris Meany, Jake Seeley, Brad Ziggler of The Athletic here with you this afternoon. Thanks for taking the time to hang out. Always appreciated. Also appreciated if you could please rate, review, subscribe to the show. A reminder, theathletic.com slash free 90 days is still a thing. And if you're listening to the show right now, you're going to love what's been posted out The Athletic over the past few days, especially from our very own Jake Seeley. We may actually get the closest thing to drunk Jake today with the 10,000 plus <laughs> words he's written up over the last few days. Uh, Jake, how are we doing this morning? <laughs> I'm doing okay. I need a vacation and we have our mock that we're doing on video. Zoom. Everybody loves Zoom these days. So we're doing that. Yes. So. I told you before we started the show, since 7 p.m. Friday, I'm pretty sure every waking moment has been sitting in front of my computer, and I've got bench butt galore. <laughs> bench butt galore. <laughs> uh, it's definitely a good time, like I said, to get in on this on this promotion for sure. Jake has written up a ton of stuff. I mean, he's got the 2020 NFL Draft live analysis. Obviously, the draft is over, but he's got a, a, you know, a little breakdown for each skilled pick, and then he's got the 2020 football dynasty rookie rankings he's got draft grades for every single team and then he has his way too early 2020 football rankings so lots of good stuff and i'm sure we'll get to that as the weeks uh go on here not so much in this episode but maybe uh we'll be back this week on wednesday for sure but i wanted to get your guys' thoughts before we dive into what we'll probably do today is round two and three with the skilled position players and and later on get into dynasty and what it means for other teams winners and losers but brad i wanted to get your thoughts right off the hop and how you thought the virtual draft went and if you think that this is maybe the the future that we could see it happen in a few weeks in the nhl and just share what it would probably mean for you as a former athlete to kind of go down this road. Yeah, I, I mean, I think in the short term, it's it's a very viable option. I think the NFL proved that. It seemed like, at least, you know, from from the public side of things, there were no technical difficulties. I don't know what they might have been dealing with behind the scenes, but no one hacked the draft. No one, you know, no one had to p- have their pick pause um, to, to fix something. It seemed like it went pretty smoothly. And, and from that standpoint, like, you feel a little bad for the players because they didn't get to have their experience in Vegas where they walk up front and get their TV time. But at the same time, like it, it is what it is. Like, there's nothing you could do about it at this point. And, and I think they made the most of a tough situation and hopefully other, other, other uh, sports will follow. And I, I saw a lot of stuff. Ian Rappaport was talking about yesterday. A lot of coaches were saying they realized throughout this process that in the past they have spent way too much time in the office and and working when they could have done a lot of stuff from home being around their family a little more allowing everybody else in their in their on their staff to do the same thing and still get the same amount accomplished that they feel like they needed to see i think you know i think they're they would have loved to seen some pro days and and some more testing um they probably would have loved to have been able to have some some face to face interviews but they could accomplish so much more um, by doing it digitally, by having FaceTime interviews where you can interview seven, eight, nine guys in a day, not have to pay for flights to go see them, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and I, I think it becomes that the draft process going forward will become a lot more virtual, even if the draft itself is not virtual. 
Yeah, Jake, I mean, you just talked about Zoom. This is the world we're living in right now is working from home and Zoom. And I, I thought it was just a, I thought it was really cool to see, not just to see everyone's homes, by the way, Kingsbury, like, <laughs> well done. That's, that's, that's what that's happens just, when you live in Arizona. You can afford 17 yeah, times the land everybody else can. You're doing all right, bud. Uh, that was, that was cool, but it was nice to just kind of, you know, and you and I, uh, three of us had joked about, inside Gruden's home and the, and the whiteboard where you can't really see or kind of squint to see exactly what's there, but you know there's some notes on there. It looks like potential 40 times, but I thought it was just a cool, from a fan perspective, it, it was a cool, like, just insight just to see, you know, Bill O'Brien kind of freak out a little bit, whether that was staged or not, what, whatever was happening. You know, Brad, that didn't seem like there was too many technical difficulties, but it was just, it was really neat, I thought, Jake. No, well, you also got, uh, they interviewed afterwards, and we found out when you saw John Harbaugh going crazy yeah. at that one point and he admitted that was for Duvernay he like he didn't think yeah. Duvernay was going to be there and so that kind of I mean you know we we have to th- see how things shake out but when you see a coach react like that and then you find out why he reacted like that it's kind of fun to see uh it, it I was interested to hear Brad's opinion because and this isn't be like oh look you know whatever but D'Angelo Williams texted me Friday morning and oh, he was man yeah, he was like, man, what, this is weird. And I was like, what do you mean? I thought it actually went pretty good. I thought it was better than I expected it to be. He goes, no, it's like kind of reminding me things aren't normal. And I was like, wow, that's kind of interesting. And I put out the poll and 20% said they felt the same way, which is higher. I mean, it's not a higher percentage, but it's higher than I thought it would be. Like for me, and I don't know about you guys, it like this entire thing kind of took my mind off the fact that, yeah, it's not normal watching it. But like you said, Chris, you know, you get to see all these insights. You get to get all these interviews. You get a lot more screen time with all these coaches and potential players. The players get to celebrate with their families. And I know, like, there's a whole experience of being there for the first round and going on the stage. But at the same time, second, third, fourth round, they're sitting at home and stuff like that. It's just – it was very interesting. I think that if nothing else, like Brad said, and you mentioned, like, maybe this is the short term, but also it's integrated more going forward and definitely something that with the technology we have now that we see a lot more of the home video and stuff like that for next year and going forward. Yeah, I think a lot of the coaches and the GMs were just, you know, some of them that have spoken up have they had really good things to say what you just alluded to Jake is they were with their family they got to spend some time with their family in this in this moment and it was it was just a neat experience it was pretty cool so I I'm, I'm all I'm all for it I like it I think that we could potentially see I mean if the NFL can pull it off and I, I, it seemed pretty flawless to me. I think the production was phenomenal too from everyone on board breaking everything down. There weren't really too many kinks. I think we'll probably see the NHL go that way as well. So, um, let's get into it. Let's do it. Let's talk round two right <laughs> off the hop. T Higgins. Cincinnati gets uh, a weapon for Joe Burrow. What do you think, Jake? Uh, I think it's one. So T Higgins, I think has a very high ceiling, but also a potential bust, like altogether bust. I think this is a good opportunity, but for me, this is more about dynasty here because you got AJ Green, Tyler Boyd, John Ross. At best, he's battling with John Ross to be the number three as of right now. Plus, you got Joe Mixon out of the backfield, so you can get excited for the future and give Joe Burrow weapons, as you said, especially because even if AJ Green plays his entire season, he's at the end of his career so more next year and the year after but it's it's definitely a nice upside situation for him to be playing with burrow yeah for sure i mean it it seems like they view him as the aj green replacement i think you know there's definitely no love lost at least publicly between aj green and the Bengals organization at this point Uh, you know he he's talking about not not being part of the virtual the off-season virtual program or anything and and if if that happens then it wouldn't surprise me at some point this year once AJ Green is on the 
you know, on the field and proves he's healthy, if they trade him before the deadline and, and give T. Higgins a chance to develop, learn from him a little bit in, in whatever practices they get in before the season starts. But they're, they're pretty similar players in, in, in their style anyways. AJ Green's a little better athlete, I think, but, but just the, the, the style of play, they remind me a lot of each other. And so, um, I, I think that's definitely what they were envisioning when they, when they made that selection. And it, it, like I said, it wouldn't surprise me if AJ Green is traded prior to the deadline this year. It's funny you say that because T. Higgins, his favorite player growing up, was AJ Green. Whether you buy that or not, he did say he has an AJ Green jersey from when he was younger. He, he tries to model his game after AJ Green. So it's funny Ask that you mentioned that. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I agree with you. <laughs> I agree with you, Jake, is that redraft perspective, not too excited unless they traded AJ Green or they move on from John Ross, who it, it almost seems like it's a, it's a lock. This is probably his last year. Both both of those guys probably their last year in Cincinnati. So from a dynasty perspective, Higgins probably going a little bit earlier, but from a redraft perspective, not a lot of love. Do you feel the same about Michael Pittman? I think there's a little bit more of an opportunity for him, despite my hate for Philip Rivers, Jake. Oh, uh, yeah, this is a terrific landing spot for yeah. Michael Pittman. Uh, look, uh, I like Paris Campbell. You guys know that. But even if Paris Campbell hits this year and he's healthy – slot guy like Michael Pittman's playing outside so now you have three and this is like good for Rivers this is good for the offense this is good for something else we're going to talk about on this team just, hey, we might as well loop him in here we don't have to like yeah, yeah. I guess you know, ignore the fact that also Jonathan Taylor is here behind that offensive line uh get your guys opinion on this as well but I have Jonathan Taylor as a fringe RB1 already sorry Lamar Mack we're pouring around well, there's a lot of people we're pouring stuff out for there there are, this draft. Yeah. uh and Marlon Mack is one of them you don't spend that kind of draft capital on that kind of talent and split touches with Marlon Mack who's always been fine and he's you know I'll compare it to is like Jordan Howard behind that offensive line probably puts up similar numbers to Marlon Mack and doesn't catch the ball as much as Marlon Mack so for all the people out there a bit like oh whatever again we have three months we have time like yes I mentioned the thing on the last show about the rookies and free agents might be behind the eight ball for not getting to play with teams and maybe this affects the rookies but we still have time to find out it's before we get to that point, I just wanted to put that in everybody's mind, but also admit that if everything goes fine and there is training camp and everything, Jonathan Taylor is going to be the guy. So Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman in this offense, even as a rookie, this is a great situation. I'd say Michael Pittman next year could be the number two, as in putting up numbers as the number two on this team. I'd still slightly lean towards Paris Campbell for this year, but it would have shocked me if they're very close, just obviously one being more catch-reliant and Paris Campbell and Pittman being more touchdown-reliant, Brad. Yeah, I, I think that's completely fair. And I think he's, he's a guy who slots in. I mean, it's, it's bad for any Zach Pascal truthers that might be out there because the, this is a Zach Pascal on steroids type player. Um, the, the Jonathan Taylor was interesting because they traded up to get him and they only moved up three spots, but they got in front of Jacksonville and Chicago. And it makes you wonder which of those two they thought was potentially going to take a running back if, you know, Jacksonville was rumored to trade, uh, you know, be shopping Leonard Fournette. He didn't get moved yet. Um, and, but it makes you wonder if they were potentially going to try to draft a, a running back there or draft Jonathan Taylor there. Cause the Colts obviously felt the need to, to jump up three spots. Um, the fact that they traded up for him, targeted him like this, I mean, there's no doubt he's going to take over the, the lion's share there from Marlon Mack. Um, I like Pittman. I think Pittman it is, I don't see him being overly viable as a fantasy option in his first year, but I think he, he could, blossom into that and be a, a definite wide receiver three uh, you know possibility in the second year 
Jake, what are we thinking with, with Marlon Mack? Is, you know, when Rivers went to Indy, we were just thinking, okay, is, who's that, who's going to be that Woodhead or Eckler? Who's going to play that role just catching balls out of the backfield? It's not going to be Mack, is it? Is that going to move on from Mack? Is it going to be Naheem Hines? Like, how do you feel like that role will play out? Because Rivers is, like, let's be honest, like, he doesn't have a lot of, you know, spin on that ball anymore. No, and he doesn't need to, but that's what we're looking for. And I was on the Naheem Hines as being the one that's the sneaky value there. But Mac is essentially dead for fantasy purposes, so yeah. NFL-wise too. Again, if we get to August and nobody's even touched the field and everything's virtual, and then you start getting a little bit concerned, like I said, about rookies, even as one like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Jonathan Taylor and all the red DeAndre Swift that we're going to talk about, you know, maybe they split to start the season more than they would have. They're still going to see the ball plenty. It's not going to like be like, all right, we can't give them more than five touches. We don't know what we're getting. It, you know, there's going to be some playbooks learning, you know, maybe the third down situations with pass blocking this, those kind of schemes is why they lose a few touches. But again, we have a long time to figure that out. As of today, if everything is fine, it's Jonathan Taylor's backfield. Jordan or Jordan Howard, they might as well be at this point. Marlon Max probably seeing three to five touches a week. Uh, I still think Hines is fringy, like RB three, probably more RB four even in PPR. I think he took a hit too. I, I think that not big. Yeah. I'd still say around forty to fifty receptions, but I was thinking more like fifty, sixty, potentially even more than that for Hines before Taylor came in. Yeah, you can kind of see from the draft here this weekend, like. The Colts, when obviously they get Rivers and pair him back up with with Frank Reich, but you can kind of see the future here. Taylor, a great landing spot, which you guys just both talked about behind that offensive line, and you get a guy, Michael Pittman, and then I guess, I suppose, their future quarterback, if it works out, Jacob Eason a little bit later on. So uh, I think it was a, is a terrific spot, too. I feel like Michael Pittman could have that Mike Williams-type role in his first year where he doesn't catch a ton of balls. You know, I think he just had around 40 balls for just over 600 yards or yeah, around 600 yards, but he's, he's a beast in the red zone and he, and he catches, you know, double digits in, in terms of touchdowns, something that he didn't do last year is like kind of complete opposite from his first full year. And then uh, his second year in the NFL, I'm not really counting his rookie season where he hardly played on the field. Um, okay. Let's continue the going down the, the wide receiver pool here. Cause there's a ton. And I'm sure Jake, when you're putting together your, your way too early rankings, how deep is wide receiver this year? Oh, I tweeted that out last night as a little sneak preview, and I said, guess what? 55, 750, and 6. So 750 yards and 6 touchdowns barely get you inside the top 50 at wide receiver. That's how ridiculous wide receiver is right now. Like, I'll just, hey, sneak preview for everybody out there. At 50, Emmanuel Sanders, Robbie Anderson, Deontay Johnson, Will Fuller, Mike Williams – Golden Tate, Bashar Perriman. It's stupid deep. Like, it's, I basically went through times where, you know, like, I, I do my projections, but I was tweeting with, uh, I forget who I was tweeting with, but I said last night is like basically everybody from 11 through 25. I just want to pull them all at 11. Like, I just, it's just, I want them all in one player, one group, because I just, I don't know how to separate all these guys if I was doing it without projections. And we're yeah. all running back heavy guys first, Brad, but with that, be enough to change anybody's strategy like listen get your backs your three down backs and then and then have at her with the rest of the wide receivers that are available yeah that's what i was gonna say you that that is all the more reason to go very running back heavy at the top knowing that you can get wide receiver twos with wide receiver one upside you're gonna be able to get them in the sixth seventh round in drafts this year and and there's no reason there's absolutely no reason to reach on wide receivers outside of 
Okay, so you want to take Michael Thomas in the first? Fine. Outside of Michael Thomas, I'm going running back, and it doesn't matter who the running back is. I'm taking running back in the first period if if I unless I can get Thomas at maybe like six or seven or something where I feel like okay that's decent value because he should probably be the fifth one off the board at that point I'm going running back I'm probably going running back in the second and I'm probably going running back in the third and then I will be happy with a a player like Cooper Cup as my wide receiver one in the fourth knowing that I'm going to get a bunch of wide receiver one weeks out of him Clyde Edwards Hilaire is still number one in rookie right Jonathan Taylor I know a lot of people are making cases for Taylor they are though uh, but no, I think no, no. three for three of us were still on Clyde o- Edwards-Hilaire. Not only that, uh, so I said sneak preview for my rankings. Apparently I'm drunk on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire uh, because projections and where he landed, RB6. In Which front is of, what, that's kind of what you said last week. That's what we all yeah, basically well, agree I mean, on. that's what was yeah. off the top of my head, but I was like, I, I don't even have him rushing for a thousand yards. I don't, like, it's like 900 something, but when you're talking about 1,400 total yards and well into the double-digit touchdowns in this offense, I immediately, of course, have a couple pushbacks in the comments about it. Brad, you know, like, I can't put In front of Derrick Henry, in front of Leonard Fournette and Joe Mixon and blah. Well, guess what? <laughs> Not only did they oh, – forget the fact of how much we've heard about how much they love him. It's the perfect fit. And guess what? Alvin Kamara? Oh, wait. Weren't we just drafting him as the RB3 or 4 off the board despite not rushing for 1,000 yards, despite not touching the ball 250 times? Haven't we seen – Austin Heckler just last year get inside the top five by not touching the ball 250 times, not rushing it 200. He doesn't need to. And he's on the, I almost dropped the F-bomb like Pat Mayo. See, we're he's getting drunk, the, Jake. Yeah, it's drunk, Jake. He's on the Chiefs. Like, good God. No, look, RB6 is fine. Yeah, and that's 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 your 2020 rankings. Like, you think Dynasty and you're talking about the 101? Yeah. Who would you rather have? Would you rather have a running back tethered to Phillip Rivers and then some, you know, potential other quarterback in a second and third year? Or would you rather have a guy, te- you know, tethered to Patrick Mahomes for basically his entire time as a chief? Yeah. Because if he's, if he's there five years, six years, whatever it might be, Mahomes is going to be there that whole time. So I would rather have that guy, especially when you see all the reports about, about an hour before the draft. They text Patrick Mahomes and said, "Hey, give me a give me a skill guy, a skill position player that you want. If you know if everything falls right, and he his the first name out of his mouth or out on you know texting is Clyde. He he wanted he wanted Edward Solaire. If he sees that much potential and realizes what it can be, let alone what what Andy Reid and the the rest of the front office think, then you have to you have to go that route because he's going to be involved from day one. Whereas right now, and, and and Jake mentioned like you're probably not trading up for Jonathan Taylor and spending a high second round pick if you're going to split carries with Marlon Mack. But Marlon Mack will be involved in some way, whether it's the passing game or whatever. Everett Hilaire has a really good chance to be a three down back in Kansas City. He's, there's no question he can do the passing game. The question is, can he handle 15 carries a game? They have Damian Williams there to take some workload off of him, and I think Damian Williams now becomes the the most valuable handcuff in football right now because of we know what he can do when he's given the opportunity. It's still a great offense, but now he doesn't have to be the lion's share. You're going to be able to get Damian Williams in the you know twelfth round of a draft or tenth round of a draft, maybe absolutely because you're going to have to get a, pay a second rounder to get Edwards Hilaire at this point. Yeah, I would agree with that actually. And I'm not crazy about handcuffs, but you're going to protect a, your investment in an offense like that. Absolutely. There's no question. You're right. We've already seen when, when Damian Williams is healthy, you know, you rank him every week, Jake, as, as an RB1 just because of the upside in that offense. So yeah, both great points by, by you guys. So I just, I saw that surfacing around. I think it's just people, you know, 
you get the pushback, Jake, on, on, you know, your rankings, but also just people just want to create some sort of conversation like, oh, no, it could be Jonathan Taylor, but, you know, I, I wouldn't suggest it, guys. <laughs> if you got the first pick, I, I wouldn't suggest doing it. Let's get back to the wide receivers. The next guy up for all the Jags, they, they pick up uh, LaVisca Chenault. Not a bad little pickup, Jake. I thought that was pretty good value. It was good value. I'll be interested. I'll say a couple things here. One is I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being the number two as early as this year, but at the same time, I put the odds against it just because there's so many options. We talked about Jalen Rager with your Eagles, and the Eagles, we haven't even talked about them yet, and we're not going to talk about them probably today, but added 15,000 more wide receivers that run like a four four forty for some reason because that's just all they wanted to do. It's just like they're running four verts every single game. That's that's their playbook. It's just one Yeah, they got lots of weapons for Jalen Rager. Worry about the rookies; they don't have to learn any other plays. But like, with that, it's, it's a similar situation because I'll give you that's one of the pushbacks I got in the comments. Is like, how do you rank Antonio Gandy Golden in front of Jalen Rager? And it was like two or three spots, of course, because you know we got to get upset about two or three spots. <laughs> but the point is, Gandy Golden has very little competition. Jalen Rager's got eight billion people to deal with. So does Chenault. Like, I think Chenault can definitely be the number two next year. And again, it wouldn't shock me if he is this year. This year, but you got D.D. Westbrook. You still got Chris Conley. Keelan Cole's still on the roster as of today. And that's all with trading Marquise Lee or, or releasing Marquise Lee already. So I think it's a good situation for him with the talent and this value. But I expect a little bit more next year. And I want to be surprised if it's almost DJ Chark and then committee by wide receiver this year. Yeah, this year I agree. And it, I think this was a he's a perfect complement to DJ Shark too for the long term. They've got to find out what they have in, in Gardner Minshew. If he's the guy of the future or if they need to get somebody – um, you know, long term, they like. I think Cam Newton would be an interesting fit there. Um, with, with the with that offense, but I don't, I don't, I haven't heard any rumors. I don't know if Cam would definitely sign up to be a backup behind a six round quarterback in his second year. Um, but but who knows? He, it, 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 but Shark is a a tall, lanky, you know, big time athlete, field stretcher guy, and and Chenault is more like the the quite a bit um, higher body mass. Um, you know, a little more possession type guy, and they're just a perfect complement to each other on opposite sides of the field. I thought it was a really great pick by by Jacksonville. Yeah, I thought it, I thought it was a good pick too, and I th- I think I feel like Jake Gard or Jake Gardner, jeez, Gardner Minshew. I'm thinking hockey here. Gardner Minshew <laughs> is um, you know, a big winner here because yeah, they drafted Jake Luton, but I I still feel like he is. I mean, we'll wait and see if Cam Newton does go there. Obviously, that wouldn't be good for Minshew. But the big takeaway for me is that that Minshew is going to be given an opportunity here to be the starter. And from a fantasy standpoint, he was okay at times, right? He was he was sneaky on the ground. He was using some weapons. I think it's I think it was a big win for Minshew, and I think it was a big win for Leonard Fournette not getting dealt either, whether he gets traded or not. But they didn't address the running back position at all. So Fournette actually had a pretty decent season from a yeah. full point PPR standpoint. So I, I still think he's in the RB one conversation for what a lot of people just want to, you know, crap all over him for not getting in the end zone, scoring some touchdowns. But it's just the way the Jacksonville offense ran last year. They just seemed to stall every single time in the, in, in the red zone. So another big winner, I feel like, was Drew Locke. 
man, Jake, did they ever get him some weapons this weekend? <laughs> Drew Locke is set up to succeed, and if he doesn't, they might get fed up within one year. I mean, honestly, they invested in Drew. They said, Drew Locke, you are winning this year. You are doing something this year. I, I don't know if they want him to throw for 5,000 yards and 40 touchdowns or whatever, but they're giving him a chance. I mean, honestly. Man, the offense looks good. Because I'll give you another pushback immediately in the comments. Noah Fant, 15, more like at 5. Like, in what world are you living in, buddy? Because he might be number 5 in the passing game. And because, at best, he's number 4 in the passing game. Like, I, I, I you can love Noah Fant all you want. But – whether or not he's even ahead of Hamler. He's still only four because you have the backfield and the two big receivers. Like, this team is loaded. Sutton yeah, Sutton and Judy are the number one and number two. There's no question right. about it. Then you factor in the backfield of Gordon and Lindsey. Gordon is still a decent pass catcher. You have that out of the backfield. Again, now you're talking Fant versus Hamler. This is an amazing situation for Hamler. I love Hamler. I told you he's better than Cole Beasley. He's like Cole Beasley and then just add like another 25% to what Cole Beasley is. But... That being said, for his for his own value, this was what Brad said is like might end up being the Deshaun Hamilton role before they drafted Hamilton or before they drafted Hamler. Either way, it's tough to see consistent if any value out of Hamler or Fant now at this point when you, they already took Judy. Yeah, and especially they spent a fourth round pick on Albert O. The right, whatever you say it, he he's basically a Noah Big Fant up. clone. They're, <laughs> yeah, he's 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 just as fast, but he's bigger. He's six six two sixty. Noah fans six four two fifty. That's basically another another like I said, another clone, but they didn't have to spend a first round pick on him like they did the year before. So it it'll it, it's there's no question. They they invested in Drew Locke and they are giving him the keys. This is John Elway trying to to give his quarterback his best shot because if if this is another failed quarterback, if he can't succeed with these weapons around him and it's another failed quarterback, Elway's out the door. There's like there he and so he I think he felt like <laughs> we've got to give him a chance to succeed because yeah yeah because because Locke is like that's that's his last thread that he's hanging on to as a as a front office guy. Yeah, they, they, you're right, Jake. They'll both be out the door. They'll, they'll both be gone. I got some pushback too. I was I just tweeted quickly. There was really no analysis from it. Just some some non rookies winners and losers, and I thought Drew Locke was a winner. And they may still want to run the football. They may, that may be their plan, really. Like, yeah, there's some weapons around there, but let's pound the rock with these two running backs. But I thought that Fant was a loser, and I got some pushback. It must have been a Broncos fan. Like, what are you talking about, Fant? Like, he's definitely not a loser here. And I had said, listen, he before the draft started, he was the number two option in the passing game. Where is he now? And that's what I was saying. If you include both running backs, like Lindsey who can catch and Gordon who can catch, you're right, Jake. He could be the fifth. And Big O actually played some college football with Drew Locke. So there's a little bit of a connection there too. I'm not saying he's ahead of Noah Fant today. Best season. (laughs) Right. That was his best season. There's obviously a little bit of a of a connection there in chemistry. I I thought what Elway was doing was trying to it's like the baby Chiefs. (laughs) Brad, like man, the Chiefs they play with a a lot of offense, a lot of speed. We gotta try to do what we can to maybe keep up in the future. That was what everybody was doing in the in the AFC West. The Raiders did the same thing. They they go and yeah. take Henry Ruggs, and then they take Lynn Bowden and Brian Edwards in the third. They like they're trying to create an offense that, that's tough to match. And then you know then the Chargers, um, you know they they went out and and got grabbed uh, you know Justin Herbert obviously at the top, but then they drafted Joshua Kelly and Joe Reed at the at the bottom, and then KJ Hill in the seventh round. Um, from Ohio State, he's a, a, a good athlete. So they, it's like everybody's trying to to go in and they they say like, ah, oh, we're not going to be able to stop the Chiefs. We may as well try to compete with them offensively because that's their their only way to beat them. 
So a lot of these rookie wide receivers, actually before we move on, this is just a quick little question, maybe silly, Jake, but Sutton was in the wide receiver one conversation for me borderline. Does this move him into two? I think you have to move him into two. Uh, I can tell you right now where he ended up. <laughs> I don't even know what to tell you. He's in that group. Actually, he is. He's 14. He's in that group. So, yeah, Good. just I just like, – talk about wide receiver. I just want – can I just throw these out here real quick? Starting at 12 yeah. with Mike Evans. Who sl- Mike Evans slid back a little bit, obviously, This is with that happening. But Evans, Cooper, Sutton, A.J. Brown, D.J. Chark, T.Y. Hilton, Devontae Parker, Keenan Allen, Odell Beckham, 12 through 20. And I'm sure I I know I know. Look, I know what people are. Somebody out there is like Devontae Parker at 18, Odo Beckham at 20, AJ Brown at 15. Somebody's out there making a case for every single one of those guys, and that's my point. You could put any of them at 12, and I won't bat an eye. Actually, put them at 11 where Adam Thielen is. I don't care. Make them. Put them there. I don't care. That's the thing. Is like there's such a slim margin. I think there's like a point and a half separating 11 through 20. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, I would, it's it's super super deep. Uh, okay, a lot of these rookie wide receivers though, like we've said, Higgins, Chenault, Hamler, like great for for dynasty. I think Chase Claypool could actually. I, I'm intrigued with him, Jake. I feel like he could have some redraft value uh, redraft value in Pittsburgh. Uh, so I was gonna say, throw the next three together because I, I, I'm just gonna give the. I think there's a very big disparity of like what happened with these three. So I just want Claypool and then Van Jefferson for the Rams and then Denzel Mims for the Jets. So Claypool, I think, is interesting because as of right now, I have him as the number two in production, but he's still down in like the 50s, 40 50s range. I forget off the top of my head. I thought super tired. Leave me alone. So uh, he's around there slightly, slightly in front of Deontay Johnson and James Washington, because right now, this is like, it's when we talk about the Eagles. I don't know who's winning right now. Like Claypool, I have more touchdowns, but if James Washington, he's not dead yet. He still could surprise and be the number two. Deontay Johnson was showing signs of being the number two. It could be him. It could be Claypool is the number four because both of them play well. And maybe this wakes up James Washington, but Deontay Johnson also plays better. And now you get, you know, both of them on the outside and Juju playing that big slide. Like there's just so many ways this could shake out where why I wanted to include the other two is because Van Jefferson, I think, is buried because he's got to beat out Josh Reynolds just to be the number three. And then Denzel Mims gets to step in immediately as the number two on that team. Or, I mean, you could even make a case for the number one with Jamison Crowder just being the slot guy. So I think all three would, you know, pre-draft, you're talking about similar values, unless you're Brad and you love Denzel Mims. But I think the landing spots here are so different that you have, like, one in the middle in Claypool, then you have one on the low end with Jefferson, and then one on the high end with Mims. Yeah, I I would agree. And uh, to me, you know, I like Jefferson a little more in the short term, um, than you do, I think, just because I don't think they they draft him in the second round when with the depth in this receiver class, they don't take a guy in the second round if he's if they envision him being competitive with Josh Reynolds to me. I think Josh Reynolds is definitely pushed to the number four. If you had him in Dynasty, hopefully you traded him in the two weeks um since Brandon Cook got got uh got traded to Houston. But there's there's no I just I don't envision them spinning that high of a pick. Um, you know, unless they, they have really fast plans for him. And same way, I mean, they, they took Cam Akers uh, almost immediately after, and I, or right before that, I guess, five picks before. But, like, you don't spend second round picks on a guy, especially when it's your first two picks of the draft, uh, you know, in, both in the later second round, unless you have short term plans, I don't think. And, um, for me, <clears throat> I, I like Chase Claypool, Claypool, sorry, Chase Claypool. But I think he's more of a DJ or a Juju replacement for next year. It's, it seems like Juju's gone after this year. It sounds like 
Really? Um, Pittsburgh's not wanting to pay him. Um, and he thinks he can get more money elsewhere. And I think, I think they let him walk. And I think Claypool is the guy that potentially steps into that role. Um, it, you know, come 2021. Um, I love Mims landing spot. Like I, he was two picks away from getting to Kansas City and it would have made me wonder if the Chiefs might have drafted him, um, at the bottom of the third had, you know, because Sammy Watkins and, and, uh, Demarcus Robinson are free agents after this year. And he would have just kind of been a, a perfect compliment to McCole Hardman and, and Tyree Kill. So I, but it obviously it didn't happen and it didn't, you know, the Jets had to take a wide receiver there. The question, the only question was who was it going to be? Um, it's a really good spot for Mims to, to step in and be a contributor right away. I can get behind Mims having some redraft value. I, I, I honestly can't get behind Jefferson right now. I just feel like he's like, again, like at best, we're, we're talking about, Backs that are probably going to catch out of the backfield there, and then yeah, Higby's going to take a step back, but you know, well, Woods so. and Cooper. Cup. Well, I mean, I, from the end of the season, he's obviously going to take a step. Yeah, back, but exactly. Um, but that's what that I mean. Like gonna, Jefferson's not going to have like Reynolds didn't have any appeal as a three. Right. So that that was going to be my counterpoint to Brad, and where like well, two different parts is one is I understand the draft capital, but this is the Rams, so I don't necessarily put as much weight because I don't. Never, yeah, they like, dropped they in might, Henderson pretty early last yeah, year. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like they're kind of, and that's a great point with the Henderson is that they kind of seem to do like the best player available things that make sense thinking long term. Maybe they're thinking two years from now. And I'm not saying you're wrong to say that, Brad, but even if I was going to say that is like Higby essentially became the number three last year. And what the thing that I always said about Jared Goff and what always people say when we see fantasy is like, how do you have three wide receivers inside the top 30, but Jared Goff is QB 18. Because it funnels to three players. Jared Goff still doesn't know how to use a fourth player yet. Yeah, maybe they figures that out this year, but I think Higby is the biggest problem for whoever the number three is, even if it is Jefferson, even if it is Randall. So I agree with you on that, Chris. Yeah, and, and again, just back to Chase Claypool is just, uh, I do feel like there's, I th- feel like it's a win for everybody. Like Juju, whether he's gone in a year or two or not, like just get some more weapons there where you don't have to just take away Juju. I mean, that was the plan, right? We, we've already been down this road before and, and whether I think he can handle top coverage or not, just get another weapon in there. Big Ben coming back. And Jake, you talked about in your article, the last time Ben played, what do you throw? Five, 5k? 5,000 yards. I know he doesn't have Antonio Brown, but five thousand yards. He he threw the ball a lot. I thought James Conner was a was a decent winner too, as well. Uh, yes, as of as of today, he is. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I love the comments so quickly, and you can always click on the city and be like, "Oh, what a surprise! It's from Pittsburgh." Like you just, <laughs> but I said, like my write up for Anthony McFarland was, "Don't be surprised if he pushes James Conner." Like there's like I. St- that's not saying it's not James Conner's role. And they mean, how, like, James Conner's going to be the guy if it's healthy. Like, I didn't say James Conner's losing his job. I just said, right. don't be surprised with James Conner's history, injury. I guess we could just jump to down to that one and write that one off for later. But Anthony McFarlane is being brought in for two reasons. One is, I do think the Steelers are getting away from, let's give the one guy 75, 80% of the touches because I think they need to be smart. One, with today's NFL, but two, James Conner's injury history is just too hard. You can't ignore it at this point. So that's part of it. And then two, if James Conner is banged up in training camp, is off to a slow start, doesn't look like the James Conner we knew, don't be surprised if Anthony McFarlane takes the job. That's my point. Like, this is something to watch. James Conner definitely won. You're 100% right, Chris. But at the same time, McFarlane is a, a significant name to pay attention to in this backfield. And I think Jane Samuels is probably done for now. I think Benny Snell ends up being the third option, similar to like what we were talking about before, like a Marlon Mack. Yeah, and Samuels, he had his chance, right? He has an opportunity. He had an opportunity Multiple last chances. year. 
Yeah, exactly. And you're right. James Conner just hasn't been able to stay healthy. So I just thought it was a win for him in particular because there was a lot of rumbles, rumblings, I suppose, that, you know, the Steelers are going to address the running back position pretty early with a guy like DeAndre Swift or Jonathan Taylor or Cam Akers, J.K. Dobbins, these guys that we're going to get into right now. And they didn't do that. So uh, Connor, at least still hanging around as RB1 on that team. Let's get into some of those backs. Let's start with DeAndre Swift. This is where we really start pouring um, bottles out for a lot of guys, Jake. <laughs> carry on Johnson, <laughs> one of them for sure. Well, yeah, car- carry on's done. Marlon Mack Bye-bye. is done. Yeah, he's goodbye. Uh, I don't think Daryl Henderson was talking about it here in a little bit. He's completely done yet. But Swift, you, look, Swift it was a top three running back. You can't ignore it, and you can't ignore the talent just like Jonathan Taylor. Honestly, he's more complete in the passing game than Jonathan Taylor is. It, look, Jonathan Swift – or Jonathan – I'm combining them. Good God, could you imagine? Uh, DeAndre Swift just a year <laughs> ago, I mean, people were making the conversation like, oh, he's just so good he's going to be a top ten pick. But this is this today's NFL, devalue the running back position, whatever it might be. Carry on Johnson was fun for a little while. Carry on Johnson's appeal was like also I'm not like this isn't revisionist history. You can go back and look what I said about it. If some people disagreed and had him lower, some people had him higher. I was in the middle ground of like Carry on Johnson should be a complimentary piece. I never thought he should be a bell cow. I never thought he should be the leader of a backfield. It just happened to be a nice situation where the Lions essentially had no other real talent back there, and that's what got people excited. And you're playing with Matthew Stafford in that offense. DeAndre Swift's now that backfield. Carryon Johnson's moved into the Marlon Mack role where, good luck, three, four, five, six touches on a good week. They'll probably even still sprinkle in Scarborough for some tough yards. But this is DeAndre Swift's backfield, similar to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, where he only needs 15 touches a week to have RB1 value. But he's on the Lions, he's not on the Chiefs, and that's why he's a high-end RB2. Yeah, for for sure, and that's um and and you could see some some scenario here where Carryon Johnson eats into DeAndre Swift's workload a little bit solely because Swift has a little bit of an injury history, just like Carryon Johnson. They want to keep them both on the field because they ran into what they don't want to do is run into what they did last year, where they're having to sign guys off the street to come in and be their starting running back because Ty Johnson wasn't very good, and so then then they have you know they bring Bo in Scarborough, both Scarborough, yeah, like he, I mean. Plucking guys off a taxi squad and immediately plugging them into your starting lineup is not a good scenario. They need some depth there. They, they're not going to want to wear one guy down and, and put themselves in a position where they're, whoever they have left, if they, let's say they wear DeAndre Swift down, he breaks down and is hurt. Then carry on Johnson is your, basically your only back at that point. And you know he's got an injury history. There, I think there's a good chance that they actually split, like do like a 60-40 split just to try to keep them both healthy all year. And it, it would be a really good, I, I think a really good combo, but that's not going to make DeAndre Swift people happy because if that happens, because when you spend a high second round pick on a guy, you expect him to be the lead guy and and just to be the, the dominant guy. Well, it, it's, it, it might be that way for sure, but I think that they, they are potentially just going to be a little leery of, of running guys into the ground and getting them hurt and having to play the second half of the season without starters. Yeah, I would agree with that. And Jake, you know, we've talked about this so many times with Matt Patricia and the way that, you know, he runs his offense and how he can't be trusted. I'm sure like Swift owners are going to be pretty frustrated this season. I don't think as much as people will think from past years because you have Swift. You don't spend that draft capital with other I – mean, like, let's be realistic about the Lions. They had a lot yeah. of needs. Like, especially I didn't think defensive. that this was a – yeah, I didn't no, think that this, this was a must. 
this was this was I think you have a franchise running back fall into your lap and you just don't ignore it and that's what it kind of felt like the, the Lions probably I would be surprised if 500 team this year they still need defensive help like multiple places they still need some defensive help that offensive line is still questionable and that's what the other pushback for DeAndre Swift is and it's understandable the offensive line is not pretty it's not the end of the world like 32nd or 30th or anything like that but it's probably just behind middle of the pack probably more like the 20 range so but swift can do a lot behind offensive lines that are shaky again i go back to 15 touches a week 14 touches a week that's you know a running back of that talent uh, on a lot of teams is going to be able to produce RB2 numbers. And that's all we're expecting. You know, if the Swift fans of themselves wanted RB1 value, well, maybe just have to wait one more year. But for now, I wouldn't complain too much about it. Just it, like and the, the biggest thing is everybody hates rookies in general anyway, because nobody wanted to draft Ezekiel inside the top five when he came out. Nobody wanted to draft Saquon Barkley inside the top three or four because, oh, they're rookies. They've never played a snap in the NFL. Yeah, and there, there's a, I mean, there's a good chance that some of these guys, because of the backfield that they're in, are, if they're not a bell cow, their value is going to be a little bit depressed from a, a dynasty standpoint toward the end of this year. That will be the time to jump on them because they're yeah. obviously, they're, they're, they're long-term plans. But if, if DeAndre Swift is split and carries with carry on Johnson, and if Jonathan Taylor is split and carries with Marlon Mack, that's not what I think will happen, at, at least on a 50-50 standpoint. But if it does happen, if Cam Akers splits carries with, Darrell Henderson, J.K. Dobbins, who we'll talk about in a second, is is the same way. He's going in behind Mark Ingram, competing for a backup spot with 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 uh, Justice Hill, um, Gus Edwards, and there's there's just not a whole lot of opportunity, even though it's a great rushing offense for him to be productive in 2020, in my opinion, unless Ingram gets hurt. Dobbins is going to be my number one target toward the end of the season, going into the offseason or whatever for next year, because Ingram is still under contract for one more year, but he's 31. He's, and, and at that, yeah, at that point, he's gonna, it's gonna, everybody's gonna be like, oh, he's a backup. He can't even beat out a 30 year old running back. Go get him. That's when you want to go get him because he's a perfect long term solution in Baltimore. I completely agree with you, but I was saying midseason because I think that he could be Miles Sanders this year. Is that right? Know, follows, I was just going to say that, yeah, Jake. Like yeah. Mark Ingram just can't do it anymore. He starts getting outperformed. Whether or not Mark Ingram gets injured, which is honestly a decent chance, more likely than not, almost yeah. it would seem at this point. Especially given you know he's never been the healthiest. He's played sixteen games, but. I think that Dobbins could be like that Miles Sanders with like who wins you championships with the last six weeks of the season, maybe seven, eight weeks. So I love like we'll just throw all three of them here. Akers, Dobbins, Dylan for the next three that we're talking about here. I do think Akers is the lead, but I don't think that it's I don't think he's a bell cow. I think it's going to be similar. You were talking about the 60 40 split, Brad. I think it's going to be like 60 40 acres, Daryl Henderson. And, you know, Daryl Henderson could have RB3 value. We're talking about this offense. You put acres in the RB2 value with that split backfield. And Malcolm Brown's now a lost thing. But J.K. Dobbins is going to be the one that I'm looking for value in drafts because you got to be, it's two things. Either he slips far enough where you take him and then you hold on to him, or the more likely scenarios, which we've done last year, you let somebody else draft Miles Sanders, get frustrated either drop them outright or even trade them for nothing. And, you know, you, you got to do it a few weeks before you think it might hit because it'll be too late at that point. Uh, but I'm going to throw A.J. Dillon in this mix because as well as I – not surprising. I'm not saying I'm right. But the Packers drafting A.J. Dillon, where they drafted A.J. Dillon, and you know my feelings about Aaron Jones. And Aaron Jones, one of the most efficient runners on a per-touch basis. I've said it time and again. I've also said he's somebody the Packers clearly don't want to be a bell cow. I don't know how many times and how many evidence situations you need. He's not a bell cow. That's great. But he's also 
you forget it. He was freaking Will Fuller last year with the touchdown. So I downgraded Aaron Jones. He's now a low-end RB2 for me because I think L.E.J. Dillon comes in and he's on the back half of a 60-40 split. But they've tried with Jamal Williams. They've tried with Dexter Williams. They want somebody to bring that power. They want somebody to complement him. And even if it's on the 40% side, that means Dillon's also going to be getting some of those goal line touches. And Aaron Jones was very touchdown dependent and had some giant weeks which carried his entire season last year. Yeah, and this, the Green Bay, what, are, how did they not draft a wide receiver? We talked about Look it on, on Friday. Uh, they, when we were discussing the Jordan Rogers. Love. Yeah, when we were discussing the, the Jordan Love trade up and, and okay, so it, you want your quarterback of the future and you don't want to miss the opportunity. Okay, fine. You still got a second, a third, a fifth, three sixth rounders, two seventh rounders that they use picks on and zero wide receivers in this class where there was legitimately 30 or 35 deep that could make an impact and they didn't get a single one of them. Like, I mean, do they, I mean, they must just absolutely believe in Alan Lazard. That's the only thing I can think of, but, it, but Rogers, there were reports coming out that he just felt betrayed. It wasn't that he had a problem with them drafting love, but he felt betrayed at the end of the draft when they didn't get him any wide receivers and they had told him they would. And, and so it, well, they got Jason you know, I don't Figura. know if there's, yeah, Josiah DeGura. They, and they, you know, they have Jay Sternberger, um, you know, from last year that they drafted. So there'll, there'll be a, a young guy tight end competition, but Aaron Rodgers has never been a tight end monster, you know, throwing the guys for at least for the last 10 years. So it, it's, it's, it's a, one of the winners for sure is Devontae Adams because they did not go and get another guy on the outside to compete for targets. Devontae Adams is going to be an absolute target monster this year. And I would potentially have him as my number two receiver, um, in the, on the season because there's no one to take care, take, take targets from him. I'm going to downgrade DeAndre Hopkins a little bit, go into a new offense and, and unsure how the, the system change will work, um, for 2020. I still like him long term, but, but outside of Michael Thomas, there isn't anybody I'm that excited about except for Devontae Adams from a receiver standpoint because there's no one else there to take any targets away. Yeah, Adams is locked in for me, wide receiver too, exactly, uh, with everything that you just said. Those are those are the exact reasons for sure. I, I, obviously, Rodgers feels portrayed. There's, there's no way he can't. He has to feel frustrated right now towards the end of his career and they don't do anything to really help him out right now. So you guys make a lot of good points and you know, I just wanted to, to bring that point home again with the uh, Miles Sanders, Devin Singletary last year and we'll get to the Buffalo backfield in a little bit with Zach Moss, but those are two running backs that showed up towards the end of last season when they really just took on bigger roles with their team so we could see the same thing happening uh like you guys said with JK Dobbins and you know just to touch on Jones and I agree with a lot of you said what you said Jake and I I had him as a a borderline draft day loser. Now he is because he could get those goal line touches taken away from him. I know A.J. Dillon didn't catch a whole lot of balls in Boston College, but they didn't really throw it tiny still. I was looking it up. I think he had like 9% of the reception share. So he's still like, as much as they threw it, he was, you know, he's still kind of a part of that offense. But Jones should probably still catch a ton of balls. I mean, he almost had, what, 49, 50 balls caught last year. If there's no weapons, he should still be a player in the passing game. Oh, he should be. And, you know, for half point PPR rankings that I have, you know, it's, it's more so the fact that just people that jumped him too, because yeah. I have Aaron Jones at RB 19. So, like I said, lower half. If you want to argue against 18, I legitimately have no problem. But, but we talked about him before during the free agency. The backfield is his, Todd Gurley. If you want to think he's toast, I'm not going to be like, oh, I can't believe. I just, again, it goes down to projections and stuff like that. But now, 
Go higher. Tell me where you put Aaron Jones above these guys. Chris Carson, DeAndre Swift, Miles Sanders, Austin Eckler, Kenyon Drake, Jonathan Taylor, Josh Jacobs, and now we're inside the top ten with the next play. Are, are you going to take Aaron Jones no. in front of any of those guys? No. No. No, I wouldn't. Maybe, maybe, maybe Swift, but doubtful. You mentioned Carson. Car- Carson, I think, is another big winner in this in uh, coming out of this draft yeah. because th- – the Seahawks did not go and spend a high pick on a on a running back. They spent a lower pick on a running back because uh, Rashard Penny is is out for the you know for the majority of the season having a oh, yeah. late season. His ACL job tear. is in question. Now. Yeah, he's yeah, he's basically done. And so Car- Carson is going to be a monster next year because we know how much they love to run the ball, and now he doesn't even have any like legit competition for that job. They drafted a backup. Do you backup guys, playing do you guys remember and where he Carson finished? Now has to be a RB one. Do you remember where Carson finished last year in half point PPR in fifteen games? Ten RB ten. Yep, RB ten. I, that's one of the things too about like running backs is once you start getting to like question, like I there's a lot where like from basically like eleven through eighteen, I was like I want them all to be ten. <laughs> <laughs> My guy, Chris Carson. How many times did we talked about Chris Carson last year and then you DJ Chris. Dallas. In there? Be every single freaking DFS <laughs> show we did, Chris Carson. <laughs> okay, Chris. This is one you of the safest backs in football, right? It just was. You got all <laughs> the red zone touches, and you know sometimes he was catching balls out of the backfield. By the way, I feel like drunk Jake is more like ornery Jake today. But also a mix. I'll give you a perfect example. I posted my rankings and I put, I had Zach Moss instead, or not Zach Moss, I had Zach, uh, Love instead of Zach Moss. <laughs> Zach Love. Um, before we get to Zach Moss, I suppose there is, uh, one quarterback we can talk Yay! about. Yay! I was waiting for this. Round. <sighs> Let me, you want me to tee it up, Chris? Yeah, you tee it up. You so, it up. no, no, I'm going to tee it up in a completely different way. I didn't get a text back. From Chris, <laughs> Brad and I didn't get a text back from Chris until the next morning because apparently he was feeling very sick and not well. And I thought that he's lying and it was completely about the pick. He said it was because of just generally not feeling well. I have a feeling he's lying to us, and it was 100% because in the round two pick of Jalen Hurts to your Eagles could not have made you feel good. <laughs> Honestly, I, I, you know what? I woke up. In a daze, I, I wasn't feeling well. I was up late doing the the, the Bengals draft on, from Thursday night. We were doing the podcast there. Hear that podcast, growling. We were up early Friday morning, and then just I just I was honest, honestly feeling under the weather. And I woke up in a daze just to kind of look. And I had a ton of missed messages, not from you guys, from calls. Like everybody knows, I'm an Eagles fan. Everyone's like, oh, he's freaking out. I had a ton of missed calls. Like Chris is dead. He's, he's completely lost it. Uh, I'm doing much better today, by the way. But I did wake up in a daze, and I was looking at just, okay, round two. Here we go. I'm looking through the picks. Okay, Pittman, looking at the backs, and I'm just like, round two. Hurts? What? Did you like, wonder what? if you're still asleep? Yes. I, I couldn't believe it. Like, I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked. You know, Carson Wentz is my guy. They just paid him $100 million. Coming off a season where he's the first QB in NFL history, throw for 4,000 yards without a wide having 500 yards. Like, get the guy some weapons. Address some needs. Some I know they did it later on in the draft some wide receivers you know with Hightower and Watkins but I was completely shocked I I'm starting to come around a little bit you know as of today as of Monday morning just slightly but I am still bothered that they spent a second round pick on a backup quarterback well wait wait, wait, wait. did you hear what Adam Schefter said during the broadcast when it happened you you may not have Chris unless you went back and watched it so this is a direct quote. He said, now in this day and age, I've had teams tell me that it is more important than ever to have a backup quarterback because of the pandemic. I think teams are looking to shore up the most important position in the sport, and that's why they drafted Hurts. Interesting. 
it, because if your starter gets it, he's completely quarantined, unable to work out anything for two or three weeks. They needed to have a guy, or at least that's what he's saying. They needed to have a guy in place that could take over and be a dynamic playmaker as a quarterback in case something like that happens because they don't know what the season is going to be like this year. But if, if one guy gets it, I mean, you're talking two or three weeks where he is completely you know, secluded from the team. And, and that's why they felt like they had to get a, a really good backup quarterback, according to him, at least. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting point. If that happens in the season, I mean, we, we, we could just potentially see like a shutdown or a pause, like the same thing in the NHL and NBA. But like right now, like if that happens, like, yeah, that's a good point. And you know what? Listen, the most important position in football is quarterback. And you can make the case that the second most important position in football is the backup quarterback. Certainly the Eagles can make that case after Nick Foles won the Super Bowl MVP a couple years back. But I still thought like, oh man, it was, it was a little bit <laughs> shocking that they, that they went that road. I did not see it at all. But I mean, you could also make a point last year that they maybe beat Seattle, Jake, with a, a capable backup quarterback is, you know, Josh McCowan coming in there and, and coming yeah. in for the injured Wentz. So, you know, I, I understand well, see, it. I, I get it. Cam Newton's What's still that? sitting out there. Jameis Winston was out there until yesterday for this. But dance. backup quarterbacks are expensive too. I mean, yeah, you, you, not ex- you not that expensive. For, no, no, because here's my counterpoint to all this. Like, forget, like, even the Corona stuff, like, whatever. Like, okay, that, that's, that's playing like worst case scenario. So that's where I texted back to you. And then what did I say? The best case scenario here is only twofold. One is he turns into a Jimmy Garoppolo and you trade him for draft picks, but that's not happening until 2022, probably at the earliest. Or the best case scenario that you're looking at is you're, you're essentially telling yourself best case scenario for this pick is Carson Wentz misses time. Like that's just not a pick I would ever make. I know what Schefter said, which Brad said. I heard the same thing. I knew exactly what he was talking about. But again, there was other options. There's still backup quarterbacks. And look, we joke about them for being quote unquote elite. I'd rather have gone sign Joe Flacco just in case something were to happen. Mm. I mean, not exactly you, oomph, but he comes in, he can do enough. Nick Foles did enough. You can do enough where you don't need to spend a second rounder on a, Oh my God, what if our quarterback misses time? Like that just makes zero sense to me. You just Brad, paid him a hundred million dollars. He's so, your quarterback for the essential. So that's kind of why they're protecting maybe. That's maybe that's why they're kind of protecting their investment a little bit. I think Hertz fits the offense a little bit more than what Joe Flacco would. And, you know, Doug Peterson seemed to be a little bit, ex- not a little bit, he was thrilled. And it kind of scared me a little bit that he was like, wow, Hertz is my guy, like the future quarterback here. And, you know, we can, and I don't want to make the Tyson Hill comparisons because I think that they're two completely different quarterbacks, but there could be some packages, especially in the red zone. But at the end of the day, I do agree with what you're saying, Jake. You don't spend a second round pick on a guy who's just going to come in on some sub packages or, a guy that's just going to – maybe he's going to play a couple games through the next couple of years because you invested so heavily in Carson Wentz. But, again, Carson Wentz isn't the most healthiest quarterback in the in the, the league, Brad. Yeah, for, for sure. He's I mean, he's battled stuff every year. I mean, there, there's a reason Nick Foles was starting in the Super Bowl. It's because Carson Wentz was hurt. So there's – if they – and I think – you mentioned Cam Newton. Like someone signing Cam Newton as a backup. I don't think Cam Newton will sign as a backup. I think he would sit out a season – on the, and, and take the chance that at some point during the season, a quarterback's gonna get hurt and then a team can call him and he has a chance to come in and be the starter right away. I don't, like, I think his ego gets in the way of him potentially signing as a backup. Whereas Jameis Winston kind of sat back and realized, okay, I'm not gonna be a starter. I need to become a better decision maker if I'm gonna be a starter. Why not go and learn from one of the best in the history of the game for, for a season or two and, and potentially be 
be that guy long term for the Saints or, you know, turn into Teddy Bridgewater, um, you know, and, and get yourself a, a starting job at some point when one opens up. I don't think Cam Newton is that way. I, I think, I mean, it's possible Cam Newton is absolutely done playing football with, with his ego potentially getting in the way. Um, I don't know. It's, and it was really interesting while we're on the topic of the Saints for, for a second that, that Taysom Hill, they had him locked up in a one year, $4.6 million deal and then gave him a $16 million increase to, to add a year to his deal and make it two years, 21 million and 16 million guaranteed. That you cannot make a scenario worse for Alvin Kamara from that standpoint because he takes all of the, the gadget plays away trying to get him in space and stuff in the open that they, they did with Kamara the first two years Kamara was in the league. And it, it, it hurt Kamara last year, and I think it really hurts him this year. Like, I, I don't know that I would want to take Kamara in the first round anymore just because I think the touchdown upside is completely gone. See, I, I actually disagree a little bit because the Sage reporter was saying this is purely to make room for Jameis Winston. That's why. It was a salary cap maneuver. Future quarterback of the Saints, Jameis Winston. <laughs> I guess good for Michael Thomas, I suppose. I mean, just going to throw it to him nonstop. He won't care. Um and, and back to back, yeah, maybe. I mean, he'll, Sanders, again, oh wait, he'll, he'll be toast maybe, by that. Maybe point. the the thing that ticked me off the most about the Hurts thing, not just being the second pick, just back to that quickly for a second, was because I went back and I didn't see the the Schefter quote that you talked about, but Mel, um, oh geez, uh, Kuiper, how he was talking about how Hurts is fine. He's absolutely fine with being a backup quarterback in the NFL. Shut the hell up, bud. There's nobody that <laughs> thinks that. There's nobody. Brad, when, you go, when you're when you going into the MLB, are you perfectly fine with just being, you know, uh, just a bench guy? Yeah. It's, I mean, mentally, I think, it, I think it was obvious, even prior to the draft, that wherever Hurts went, he was going to be a backup. And you sure. could say that about probably everybody except for Burrow. Like, I don't know that any anybody else is going to start on day one, barring a, a, an injury in, in preseason or whatever. But... But at that point, you can say that all you want. The bottom yeah. line is he's going to do everything he can to make that decision tough for them long term because he doesn't want to be a backup quarterback for the next four years or however long right. his contract is. He wants at some point he's going to want to be the guy. He's going to want to prove he's the guy. And and it's just uh, I don't know. It, it was just uh, it, it's that's the the team first quote that the agent tells him to say you know that kind yeah. of thing but it's there's no uh, way inside that he's feeling that I'd way i'd say they sign me up for four years and 40 million dollars i'll sit on the bench yeah. every single second <laughs> yeah good, good teammate that jalen hurts good backup you know you, you know you could say a lot of positives about him the off the field sort of stuff but this does poo poo his fantasy value and his development and, and getting excited because we were excited about him this time last week we were talking about if he lands in the right environment you know he could potentially be a fantasy asset and you know howie roseman his first couple things were factory for quarterbacks whatever that means i mean yeah doug peterson is a former quarterback and can develop and play to the strengths and that nate sudfield won an opportunity to be a starter elsewhere i mean i just thought that that was a bit of a joke just to bring that up uh when you after you dropped it when it hurts in the second round uh we only have a couple minutes here so that will basically wrap up round two but i there's one tight end jake that did go that you're familiar with cole Komet to the bears just um another tight end for chicago yeah because they need 17 to fill out this roster uh, somewhere and they didn't another. draft one wider did they <laughs> no they didn't Which, take a wide receiver i mean Robinson. I was, yeah, well, and Anthony Miller, which makes you feel good about that. Cole Komet. This, Nick Foles, yeah. Yeah, like most tight ends, you're looking at year two, especially for Cole Komet, because the biggest thing about Cole Komet, too, 
is being able to get on the field is the pass blocking is a huge question mark. Uh, he struggles to get off the line in general, even in running his route. So you know how I feel about the tight ends this year is that I didn't have anybody as a tier one. I didn't have anybody as a year one impact. Uh, you're looking for Kamek. He could be. He could actually, given the fact that he's like Evan Ingram-like in the fact that you don't want him to block and maybe he just becomes enough of a chipper that, you know, he's not always, you just know he's running routes all the time. Next year, he could be in the tight end one conversation, a very low end, but he could be in the conversation, but I wouldn't expect much at all this year, especially, like I said, because they have 8 billion tight ends, and he's, I mean, at least with the corpse of Jimmy Graham is in front of him right now. Yeah, there's, I mean, the, there's no question. They, I mean, they cut, um, who's the guy that they cut right before the draft? They got, Trey Burton. They got rid of Trey Burton. Burton, yeah, Trey Burton. Frank Wright. Yeah, yeah and, and Burton went there with high expectations. They want to move tight end in that offense. This is... Matt Nagy, who was in Kansas City, who had Travis Kelsey as his tight end for a while as a, when he was an offensive coordinator there. He wants a move tight end. Jimmy Graham is a absolute placeholder. He's a red zone weapon, but that's all he is at this point. He's completely touchdown dependent. Troutman was completely, you know, the quotes were completely unguardable at the senior bowl, um, in the practices leading up to it. They, I think they see him as, as their, their Travis Kelsey in that offense long term, but I, I agree with Jake. I don't think he's going to have any value in the first year, um, unless, you know, Nick Foles comes in and light, lights up the world and, and I just, just it's hard him. to imagine do, that happening. Do you guys know how yes. many tight ends are on the roster right imagine. now? Legitimately? Uh, man, there's Six. almost, I feel like there's almost 10. <laughs> there's 10. There's oh, 10. Man. Jimmy Graham, yeah, Cole Komet. They said. signed Demetrius Harris, don't forget. They still have Brockner. <laughs> they have J.P. Holtz. Adam Shaheen's still there. Horstead, Eric Sauber, Dax Raymond, and Darian Clark. They have 10 on the roster right now. Yeah. In about two days, they'll be down to six. <laughs> you know, Nick Foles left some road to his tight ends, right? Uh, uh, yeah. Hey, it's, it's essentially possible. That, like I said, I'd say more for next year. By the way, Chris, to my point, do you know how many wide receivers are on the Eagles right now? Like 10? 14! <laughs> 14! Yeah. I don't even know who yeah, River Craft is. traded Kraft. for Marquise Goodwin, Kraft. too, right? River Craft. I don't know who that is. I don't even know who that is. Craig Craft, yeah. yeah. yeah Craig Craft, yeah. Um, I have never covered Craig Craft's film. Like I said, they got a lot of weapons for Jalen Hurts. They got a lot of speed for him. It's a, it's a new yeah. offense. And, and, and they traded for Marquise Goodwin, you know, late you know in the what? draft, too. Swap six Let's, rounders. And maybe him and Deshaun Jackson can combine for about 16 games. <laughs> Take him off the list for the next show as well. But since we'll close out on him, because I do want to mention Troutman, I love that value. Next year, tight end one, if Drew Brees hasn't retired. The Saints really not the tight end one. did a lot a to move up one. to get him. Right? Yeah, they gave yeah. up the rest of their draft yeah. At, yeah. at that point. And then they, they traded back into the seventh round, um, you know, at the end just to grab a, a, a fifth quarterback or however many quarterbacks are on their team. But... But yeah, they, I mean, I guess maybe at that time they didn't realize they were going to sign Jameis Winston. Um, so, but, but they, they gave up a, you know, they moved up 25 picks, but then gave up the last three draft picks they had after the, after that move up pick. So, um, really good move. I love the Troutman move and, and Jake is, Jake is especially loving it because it just crushes the value of their starter long term. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one of those guys too. It's kind of the theme here of the show. I know the tight end position is is whatever, but in in dynasty leagues, like this is somebody that you could get in the later rounds, round three, four, is a guy who's you know if your if your rosters are deep enough that you can get this guy, and then 
um, he's going to have some value for you in the years to come. All right, that'll do it for today's show. We're wrapped up round two. We'll get into rounds three and four in the rest of the draft on Wednesday. A reminder, you can follow Jake at All in Kid on Twitter, and you can follow Brad Ziegler at Brad Ziegler, myself at Chris Meany. Any questions, you can hit us up there or in the comment section if you're listening to the throwback on the Athletic Podcast app. Until Wednesday, have a good one.